Welcome, welcome, Real Stories podcast listeners, to another episode of Real Stories with Graham and Brian. And today, Brian and I are joined by a special guest named Andy Steven. Andy is an Upper Sandusky graduate who has gone on to work in the aviation field, but also mostly uh, spent, spent a career in the military and the Air Force and the Air Guard um, and did all sorts of stuff uh, all around the world. And we had a great conversation with them. Graham, I've I've had the opportunity to, to chat with him a few times before this, but nothing this detailed. And I tell you, this this interview was fascinating. This guy's really smart. He's he's really well read and has been around the world. And he's now a commercial pilot with American with uh, with an American airline, I should say. Um, and and he's just a, a joy to listen to. He really is. Uh, he's an intelligent dude. He is. Um, and I love how calm he just is. Very cool, calm, and collected. He's a, he's a incredible executive. He never yeah. says the wrong thing. Strikes me as the type of guy that might be able to like fly an F sixteen or something and keep calm up Consult there. Consult the president. Yes. Uh, yeah. So uh, today was a great, uh, a great episode and I hope that everybody enjoys it. We, Brian and I definitely had a lot of fun talking with Andy today. We did. Mm. All right. We're going to get to the show. We hope you enjoy this episode of Real Stories with Andy Steven. Welcome, 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 Real Story Podcast listeners. Brian and I are here today with a super cool guest, uh, Mr. Andy Steven. Do I, do I have to call you Colonel Andy? Or Absolutely not. Call you Andy. Okay. Uh, Andy is a, a is from Upper Sandusky, is related to my wife, to uh, the Steven clan of Upper Sandusky. As in the uh, Steven Lumber Company. As in Steven Lumber Company, yes. And so uh, Andy... Uh, grew up in Upper Sandusky and moved away and never looked back, although he comes back quite often to visit. <laughs> so, looked back so, a few times. So yeah, did you look looked back. back a few times. And looked down a few times. Nice. So, uh, Andy, uh, you're from Upper, but where do you live now? Uh, Tampa, Florida. Been there about oh, 20 years now. Tampa. Yeah, down in the yeah, warm. So it's, so it's, it's cold it's up here. It's way too cold up here right now. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Uh, okay, so what year did you graduate high school? I graduated in 84. 1984. Which, uh, seems like yesterday in many ways, uh, but then when I look at my hairline, it uh, tells me it wasn't yesterday. <laughs> yeah, that true. Was a, that was 11 years I before got, I did. I, so. I started losing my hair in high school, so. <laughs> yeah, easy. I mean, I was gray. I, I was at least gray when I was about 20, and and yeah, it I, hasn't gotten any better as I got older. I blame it on the testosterone. Sure. It's just all that testosterone I have. <laughs> so that's uh, probably the same case with me, the opposite way. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay, so uh, your your dad is Don Steven. That's correct. Uh, and what's your mom's name? Judy. Judy and Don Steven, who Don was the oldest son of Paul Steven of Steven Lumber Company. Let me ask you this. When you were growing up, did you think like, oh, well, I'll, I'll work at the lumber company? someday there was definitely a thought of that uh you know didn't really know what the horizon was much beyond upper sandusky growing up initially Mm -hmm. so there's definitely that thought uh although dad uh didn't necessarily encourage that he kind of like you go find your own things to do kind of like he initially did he uh he left and went to wisconsin i was actually born in wisconsin i lived my first probably almost two years of life in wisconsin 
Okay. He was a civil engineer for the uh, city of Portage, Wisconsin. And then his dad, my granddad, uh, Paul Stephen, asked him to come back to Stephen Lumber. Uh-huh. And uh, he came back uh, and so the, in the, in the uh, late 60s okay. to Stephen Lumber and uh, been an upper Sandusky ever since. Yeah, man. Okay, I didn't know that. So, Don, so you were born, I th- I assumed you were born here. Not Portage, Wisconsin. Okay. Yeah. Ah. They say Portage or Portage? Depends on which ones you talk to, probably. The French ones say Portage. <laughs> portage. Uh, I, I actually, those from Upper Sandusky, Ohio, say Portage. Sure. That's but, true. But the yeah. French probably say Portage. Yeah. I was actually I, up, up near Portage uh, a couple years ago, I driving through Wisconsin on my way to Minnesota. So... I, I see right where that is. So your dad came back. I mean, Andy, your probably most famous thing is that your dad was in Shawshank Redemption. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, that is a, a good conversation piece no matter where I am. And then everybody wants to see pictures. And so I always have to have a, a picture or two saved on the phone to bring that up. Oh, uh, yeah. That's my dad. Okay. And inst- instantly it gets me some cool points through my dad. So Yeah, really? Yeah. 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 Who knew Don Steven was going to be right. giving you the cool <laughs> exactly. points? But yeah. Uh, nice. Okay. So you gr- grew up, did you do, what, what were you into in high school? Uh, you know, I, I, I probably like about half the kids out there today, maybe, you know, hopefully maybe there's fewer kids like me. I, I was probably kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do and it took a while. Uh, but you know, I played uh, a few years of golf. Uh, I was pretty pathetic. Uh, so, uh, you know, <laughs> for, fortunately, well, I, I think everybody is. Pretty yeah. Pathetic. So, uh, compared to the kids now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I somehow I hung on the back end of the track team for a couple of years, did that. Um, and, uh, you know, I was, uh, you know, I don't even sure I could put in a marginal athlete. Um, uh, I was able to, you know, walk across the street was an accomplishment for me in high school. So, um, you know, I wasn't, uh, you know, you know, but obviously with upper, uh, most of the teams, if you went out for them, you know, there's a body, so we'll get you out there Yeah, and, yep. and, and be on it. But I was never, uh, never the great yeah. athlete with, uh, with a lot of the kids in my class were. Did uh, you do any, were you in, ba- were you musical? No, or? absolutely None not. Yeah. You know, I, you know, the whole Very bacon side, the now. whole bacon side. <laughs> Well, uh, that uh, I think that's where all the musical ability came from. Uh, the Stephen side is it's not known not. for that. Okay. Although my grandma, she had some great skills. played the, Played the organ in church for years and years. Yeah, Marion and Stephen. Marion Stephen. Yeah. So from, from Nelsonville, Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. And is she the one that lived here? She lived in this yeah. house. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. In the in the house attached to the recording studio that we bring. Real Stories podcast. That's what I love. Actually, I do a lot of home improvement projects, and Andy's always one of my. I like to see his eye on it because he remembers the house. Yeah, sure. What yeah. it used to look like. Yeah. His dad, we don't even like inviting his dad inside. <laughs> Don yeah. does not like. He doesn't see, like change. Well, just you know, he likes to remember it. Sure. I think the way. Yeah, it's memories of growing up as a child. Yeah. It, it's not the same. So yeah. I think it uh, it's an altering. For, but for me, since I didn't grow up in it, seeing the change, I I think it's 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 pretty cool to see the transformation in it more of a modern style, which is kind of what I like. So it, yeah. it's, I I think the transformation is very interesting to make it livable uh, yeah. and, and still be memorable. Yeah. Yeah. And you built your own, you're, I mean, you're into this stuff too. That's, yeah. You know, it's once you start, I don't think you can get out of it. It gets into you and then you, you find ways to waste money remodeling things <laughs> like three and four <laughs> yeah. times. So, yeah. You know, I was thinking, you know, I listened to your conversation, uh, comments about high school and what was I into. And, and I think the b- best uh, story of my high school athletic career was, was basketball. So, I tried out in ninth grade for the, the basketball team. I didn't make it in junior high either, but I tried out in ninth grade and, and I got cut. I tried out in 10th grade and got cut after, you know, getting cut in 7th and 8th also. And then I tried out in 11th grade and uh, I made the team. Nice. And, Good and for I, you. And I got the shoes. We went, <laughs> yeah, it got, was went, a lot about went, the shoes. Yeah, I went to the first scrimmage. 
And we came back, and, and the coach says, uh, we have to make one more cut. <sighs> really? I, yeah. Do I get to keep the shoes? No, we need the shoes back, too. Oh, you're kidding me. So that was the end of my uh, wow. my basketball what? career. I gave up in 12th grade. I couldn't I couldn't handle another cut, so I, did, I didn't even try in 12th how, grade. How did they... Good for you to try out. Three... Nowadays, if kids like even get told, maybe you shouldn't try out, it's or like, oh, I don't know, the team's pretty full. Kids are like, oh, okay, well, I just want to try out. Yeah, I, well, I mean, nobody tries out three times. I can tell you that much. And I don't, I don't, I can't That's think awesome. of a kid that makes the team and, <laughs> and then and is cut. I guess <laughs> cut later. Well, I must have said something you about my 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 ability so at the screw. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but still, if they already gave you the shoes, you had a uniform. I mean, it's not like they had unless they had somebody else in waiting that they. Yeah, it was it was decades of therapy after that to, <laughs> because to of that one. Yeah, to know, That's where it came from. <laughs> okay, so you graduate in '84. And then off to college? Yeah, off to college. I somehow found myself down at uh, Marietta College. Oh, okay. Yeah, in Marietta, Ohio. Went down there for one year. And, uh, you know, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I just like, got to go to college. That's the next thing in the, in the yeah, checklist. Yeah, right, exactly. It wasn't like some of my friends, like, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to go study this degree. I'll be done in four years. I'm gonna... I had no idea. So I did that for a year. And then I came home, and I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of wasting my time because I'm going to college not having a clue. And, it, and it's not cheap. No, it's. I think it's a lot cheaper then than it is today. True. Big, uh, yeah. Yeah. But even proportionally, I think yeah. it's cheaper yeah. then. Yeah. So I came home and uh, went back to working at uh, Lincoln Hills for the, the for the summer, which is where I worked for oh. about six years. Uh, let me put a plug in real yeah. quick. Uh, Andy, a few years ago, told me he worked at Lincoln Hills, and then the next time I saw Dave Bostel, I said, "Hey, do you remember Andy <laughs> Steven? He said he worked for me." Is oh, I, he hired. <laughs> My, my, you know, memory fades a little bit, but I'm pretty clear that if you could talk to any of the guys that, that worked with me at the time, they would all admit that we pretty much broke every piece of equipment that Dave Bostel had <laughs> over our time there. I probably broke more than others. And, uh, but what I recollect is, is to this day, Dave is the best boss I've ever had. Oh yeah. Um, that's he, what you've told me he, that yeah, too. He, uh, uh, you know, I know there were times he was buried to blow his top and we'd come and broke this, but he'd take us up to the barn, which was where all the, t- the equipment was kept. And he'd sit down with us. Well, we're going to fix it, but you're going to fix it with me. And, and so he taught me about, uh, you know, working, working hard, m- making mistakes, but you can still move on from them. And uh, to this day, best boss I've ever had. Nice. Oh, that's awesome. Dave Bostel. Dave yeah. Bostel. Who would have known? <laughs> great. I mean, he, he is, is a, a great guy. guy. Great yeah. guy. Uh, he helps my golf team so much. Uh, yeah, just, just fabulous guy. He is. Yeah. And he's, he, and he, you're right. He's a man of many trades. I mean, he, you'd think of just, you own a golf course. You're sort of a, you're a small business owner. You're a greenskeeper. You're a tavern keeper. Yeah. You're a mechanic. You're, you know, like he's sharpening blades. I mean, he does all the stuff out there. I mean, and he has help, but. He really is a great. Yeah, he's he's a really a lot like a lot of farmers around here. You have to do everything on the farm. Well, he's yeah. his farm is not crops. It's a it's a golf course, and he's yeah. maintaining the golf course. Very similar, and he's got yeah he's got a restaurant on the side, the yeah. tavern, all that. So yeah, yeah, you have to be able to do everything. So okay, so you come back Lincoln Hills, and then off. Do you do you then join the Air Force? No, I I took a year off. Going, what, what do I really want to do? And uh, so I went out to California, visited an aunt and uncle out there. Uh, my dad's sister, Jan, lived out there. Oh, yeah. Still and does. So I stayed with them. Yep, she's still out there. And uh, stayed with them for a bit, rode my bike along the coast of California and kind of hung out. Bicycle or motorcycle? Bicycle. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, came back and said, you know, I uh, I want to fly. Yeah. So that's what I want to do. And uh, transferred to Ohio State and uh, from there went on and uh, 
you know, graduated and went on to the Air Force after that. So wait, so what what'd you major in? Aviation? Yeah. So it was a, a, really a bastardized degree, uh, aviation engineering with a concentration of meteorology. So I'm not... Oh, nice. <laughs> so it, it gave me two years of aero engineering, yeah. um, a year of meteorology, and a year of flying. So, okay. you know, not really competent in anything, but <laughs> you have a little bit of... Uh, in a lot yeah. of things. Yeah, a little bit of knowledge. So Wow, that's uh, cool. Yeah. You just really wanted to be in the air. Yeah, ex- exactly. So so did that, uh, you know, uh, at the, the time I was there, I was working at the airport, uh, Don Scott Field. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Wait, is that now the Ohio State? Yeah, it's the, the Ohio State Airport. Yeah, what's it called now? Written? No, no, no. It's Don Scott still. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I'm thinking of Rickenbacker, R- which is right. Rickenbacker's the south. Okay. It's, it's yeah. the uh, where the military uh, KC-135 unit is. But, Don Scott's, but Don Scott's just to the northwest. Oh, like, okay. Is it Hilliard or Grandview or like over in that T- area? Testing my knowledge. Yeah, but yeah, it's the yeah. Hilliard Grandview area. Yeah. Okay. Oh, cool. Okay, so which city kind of it? You're working there. And then if, I mean, do you graduate from Ohio State with a, a pilot's license? or I, you, I do. Okay. Yeah. So I'm working there and uh, a couple of the guys I'm working with uh, were also interested in, and obviously in going on flying. And one of them, Brian Caudill, uh, says, hey, um, you ought to look at the guard and uh, the air guard. And, I, and I'm at the time, uh, I guess it's the end of my junior year and I'm putting my package together to go active duty. And you have to put a package together and to see if you get selected. And I hadn't gone ROTC because I, I transferred up. And I was also on the rowing team at the time. Yep. And I just didn't have the, the capacity to do ROTC also. And, and it really didn't work because I'd already, by the time I looked into ROTC, I was, I was getting ready to start my junior year. And it wasn't enough time to be uh, in ROTC and get a scholarship. So I'm putting my package together. And Brian says to me, hey, you look at the Air National Guard. If, if you get selected by one of the units in Ohio that's flying fighters, you got to fly fighters. Yeah. And I said at the time, I, I thought he was lying to me because, you know. <laughs> that, he, that sounds too easy. Yeah, it does. And and to go active duty, it's you go to pilot training, and then it's where you graduate in your pilot training class. It determines what aircraft you get. So if you're at the top, you get first choice, you get fighters. You're at the bottom, whatever's left over. C-130s. Yeah, C-130s, yeah. <laughs> a, a helicopter, uh, whatever. Which um, would also all be super cool yeah. to fly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. Yeah. yeah. So – uh, I kind of laugh with him a little bit and think he's telling me a story, but he gives me some information and I look into it. And sure enough, that's the case. So I put my package together and I had a decent grades. And I, you know, I think one of those few people where my, my, once I figured out what I wanted to do, my grade point average went way higher in college oh, than it was agreed. in high school. I, I Brian and I are yeah. in the yeah, Graham too. Yeah. 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 It, it's a lot easier when you can when you can focus all of your energy because you realize that oh I don't have to worry about that anymore. All I have to do is finish school. And well yeah, like my, my oh I like this. Is clear. Oh th- this I, stuff's cool. Right. Yeah. Like right. I'm actually yeah. going to use it. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I like it, and uh, and there's a reason for why I'm studying this mm-hmm. versus uh, just somebody told me to study it and I have to do four and, pages of these. And problems. I know what's oh, important gosh, to me so to take out of what I'm studying. Uh, exactly. So a lot of that was was gained and allowed me to, to do well. So I had a pretty good package that but, I turned in. So hold on. So what's this mean? A package? So it's an uh, it's an application package, like any okay. job you do anywhere. Yep. You give yep. me your, your package with a, your resume and your background and all that. And I turned it in. So there were three fighter units in the state of Ohio at the time: uh, Toledo. Mm-hmm. Springfield and Rickenbacker. They all flew the A7 aircraft. So I ended up getting selected for interviews at all three places. Sounds so, nice. so that's is pretty that, excited. Is that a Corsair? Uh, the A7, uh, yeah, uh, not the Corsair. Uh, gosh, now you're really testing me. I never flew it. Oh, okay. Uh, the I'm A7 sorry. Corsair, yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, that's, see, there's my brain's not working. This it's uh, well, that's okay. You got me under yeah, pressure go, here go. on the podcast. Come back and yeah, edit go this. Ahead. Uh, so, uh, I go down to Springfield, and and to be honest, if 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 it was today's world, and they had, somebody could pull out their iPhone and could have recorded that interview, it would still be on YouTube as the worst interview of all time. <laughs> it was terrible. Yeah, I'm here. I'm around a bunch of colonels and lieutenant colonels that had been in Vietnam and or close to that time frame. And here I am, nobody other than my uncle Andy has been in the military forever, and he was only in for uh, uh, three or four years in the Vietnam area, drafted in. Ugh, that um, sounds like a long uh, time On, to on me. a submarine. Enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But nobody else really in our, my family has uh, military yeah, You didn't experience. have, like, somebody to call and be like, hey, what's the, yeah. what's the drill here? So I, I had no idea. So I got down there. It was horrific. Horrific. <laughs> I mean, uh, just <laughs> terrible. So, but, you know, I, I, I learn – you know, even though I stumble a lot. And so I go to Rickenbacker for the next interview, and it went pretty well. Yeah. And I was their uh, second alternate, uh, and uh, or the first alternate from the number one choice. Um, so then I went up to Toledo and ended up getting be picked as their number one choice. Yep, so nice. I ended up uh, going to Toledo. The, so and the, so red, the Red Dog Squadron? No, it's the yeah. Stingers. The Stingers. Stingers, okay. yeah. So real quick here, because I, I think I must have missed something. Is there... Are you in the Air Force at this time? No, I'm nope. okay. just getting ready to graduate college. Okay. So you're so, applying to be in the Air Force, and you're basically like your, your officer school? Is that what? Right. Okay. So I get selected at Toledo. So then I, it's about a year of waiting to go to officer school mm-hmm. to get and, and then uh, to get my pilot training slot. Uh, and then while I'm at pilot training in Lubbock, Texas, which just uh, two weeks ago, my uh, group, my uh, class from pilot training just sent out the notice for their 30th anniversary. So we're going to have a 30th okay. anniversary this summer. Uh, so they, uh, I'm waiting to go to Lubbock and get everything put together for going down there. And, and I get to pilot training. It's all going well. And then Toledo sends me a note that, Hey, bad news. Uh, we're not going to have the a seven anymore. Uh, I'm like, what? Uh, we're transitioned to the F 16. You're gonna have to yep. fly the F-16. Oh darn it! What a show! <laughs> yeah. So it was uh, it was tough. Again, some more therapy to get over that that issue. Uh, but I uh, ended up going to from from Lubbock, uh, from pilot training, graduating there. A short tour at Holloman for uh, what they call fighter lead-in training, uh, which in where's Holloman? It's in New Mexico, okay. Holloman Air Force Base, and they do what's called uh, fighter 51. lead-in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they give us another it's it's one of the same planes we use in pilot training but it's a little bit modified for uh bombing uh, it's called the at-38 so you can do uh, uh, bombing efforts in that at the basic level and and, and strafing with a gun yep mm. so we do that and then they send me to f-16 school and uh mcdale air force base in tampa florida uh in uh, 1992 93 which if i'd known i would be moving <laughs> back there yeah. for 20 years at man i would have bought place then oh no doubt yeah um so I go there and finish that training, and then in 93, I end up in Toledo flying okay. uh, F-16s for uh, six years in Toledo, and then I moved on to other assignments after that. So are those – I uh, – you probably wouldn't even know this, but we play golf a lot at a golf course in Kaleida, which is, you know, south – it's like west of Bowling Green, and there's always – fighter jets every time we're up there and i don't know what they are because you can barely see them but you can hear them and then you see them up there running training stuff would that be those guys out of toledo it, it could be there's also uh units over in uh um well no there's only the only it, it could be uh the only uh fighter unit left in, in, in ohio is the toledo unit is it really? oh, yeah okay. yeah the uh, springfield unit has gone to uh drones 
Oh, and, okay. and those aren't oh, even based oh, there. They, yeah. they just fly them out of the ground control stations in Springfield. And then Rickenbacker just has now uh, KC-135s. Okay. Okay. And so there's nothing out, there's no reserve base in Port Clinton anymore? There is. It's a, a Red Horse Squadron. And I commanded that uh, okay. in, from 2014 to 2017. Oh, okay. Uh, so, But it's re- that's a 400-person engineering unit. Okay. Uh, so no planes, a lot of heavy equipment, bulldozers and cool stuff like that. So, yeah. But they, I mean, they can haul that stuff or that's what, is that what they do? I, that's an Air Force. So it's a, it's an Air Force facility. Also at Camp Perry, it's also an Army facility too. It's Air Force, uh, Air Guard and Army Guard co-located okay. at, the, at the same facility to some extent. Gotcha. Uh, but it's designed, the Red Horse, you know, kind of getting off a sidetrack here. The Red Horse is a 400 person unit designed to build airfield or anything on an airfield anywhere in the world. Okay. Uh, very similar to the Army combat engineers, although... The current Army combat engineers are more geared towards combat, and mm-hmm. the, and Red Horse is actually more geared towards engineering and construction. Is We're a little similar bit more to like the CBs, or so yeah, very similar. We've done okay. a lot of projects with the CBs. Okay, yeah. Gotcha. What's the CBs? Uh, it's con- it's construction the uh, battalion, it's, it's, right? Yep, for, for okay. the for the Navy. Okay, yep. yeah. So, well, speaking of the Red Horse Squadron, I feel like that had some sweet stuff. So basically, you'd go in and build, you're building airfields and barracks and things like that? Yeah, so any kind of facility you need on an airfield, or and it can be off an airfield too. So uh, when I was there, we went on average six countries a year uh, with about 250 people a year deployed. And they were anywhere from, when I say deployed, it's not like a two-year assignment overseas. A lot of them were two or three weeks. Yeah, go so, in, build, get yeah. it built. Yeah, and, and with back. rotations. We'd have sometimes some of the projects would have six or seven rotations of people going in. So because our, our guardsmen are all part-timers uh, mostly, and so they would come in for their two weeks of annual training or maybe a little bit more during the year, and they would, we'd take them to a project overseas where they could get real hands-on experience and build that and rotate you know, all of our people through. And with 400 people, you'd rotate a lot through to get that done. Yeah. yeah. So you, awesome. so it, it, without skipping through it all, you end up commanding, being the colonel of that unit, the commander of that unit. Yeah, so in 20, 2013, I came back from a year in Africa and had been selected for colonel or 06 and had to find a job and uh, was able to, to get uh, picked to be the Red Horse commander, uh, which was a, a colonel position. Yeah, so I came back, went from the Air Force Reserve back to the, there were like three other moves prior to that, but went from the Air Force Reserve back to the Air Guard in Ohio for that position for three years. Nice. Cool. Okay. Man. So, okay. I feel like we could dive down through that, but I want to go back. <laughs> I, could, I could talk about these details, like the minutia of this yeah. whole thing for hours. It's, yeah. It's incredible. So we go back. So you, you do the guard, you do air guard, you get in in Toledo. How long, how long does that last? So I've been Toledo until 99. And I'm moving out to California, and I'm trying to find an F-16 unit near San Francisco where I ended up moving. And there wasn't anything nearby. So I uh, found a couple other units that were in the area. And and I still remember I went out down to Moffett Airfield, which was a rescue unit. Yep. And I walked in and talked to the C-130 guys. And like, yeah, we we got no slots. We're full. We got a bunch of airline guys here. There's no openings. Like, all right, I guess I'll go up to Travis Air Force Base and ask up there. And I'm walking outside of their ops facility. And this guy named Dan Lopistol is kind of hanging on the side of the, the by the door, just kind of hanging out. And he says, hey, you looking for a, a, a flight slot? And I said, yeah, but you guys are all full. You got nothing. He says, what about helicopters? We got a lot of slots for helicopter pilots. Let's talk. Were you yeah. qualified? No. Okay. No, I only could, I had to qualify as a, a fixed wing F-16 pilot. Okay. So, uh, so we talked. And next thing I know, I'm going down to um, Fort Rucker uh, Army Base in Alabama 
<laughs> to get the very <laughs> basics of what it takes to fly a helicopter. And, and no joke, I'm being taught by Mr. C, who's was in Vietnam, and man, his stories will oh. your unbelievable stories. Yeah. That, you know, just you just made you respect how much those people that were in Vietnam, what they they saw mm-hmm. and went oh, through. hundred percent. Just just uh, incredible stories, and some of them just incredibly sad what they what they had to experience yeah. and, yep. and and watched guys around them get shot down and never to see again. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was a Vietnam Army helicopter pilot in his mid sixties, but he's teaching for the Army as a civilian civilian status, teaching people initial steps. So I remember walking out, and uh, first day. Uh, well, the backing up a little bit, the first thing he says, go up and get the key for the helicopter. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this is, this is one of those, yeah, I've been in about 10 years. Let's, this is a new guy trick. Let's send the yeah. rookie for a rubber magnet. Yeah, yeah. right. And I'm like, no way. So I just kept walking out to the helicopter. And here comes one of the other, other students, and he's carrying a little binder, and there's a key flopping out of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what's with the key? He goes, well, it's for the helicopter. I got it upstairs in the ops. Like, so I run back, and <laughs> no joke. So, you know, finishing that story is that, I don't know, maybe a year or two prior, the Army had a maintenance guy that decided he was going to take a joyride one day. Ah. And he went out and got in the helicopter, fired it up, went flying until he crashed it because he really yep. didn't, know how, didn't know how to fly that well. Yeah. So the Army, their decision was put keys in all the helicopters so that people couldn't go out and just take them. So I had to get a key. The key was no, was legit. Instead of instead of enforcing a policy, it's it's easier to do sweeping changes mechanically to everything. Exactly. Exactly. It seems to work well. Yeah. I feel like in a helicopter, man, what if that key gets accidentally turned off or something in the, you know, it's like in a plane, if it well, you yeah. cut the power of the plane, you're still going to coast for a while. It's and under, it was <laughs> under a guarded switch, so you could once you put yeah, the guarded yeah, switch yeah. down, you, you couldn't react, uh, yeah. turn it off. So, like any other, most of the other switches in aviation, a lot of them are guarded, guarded, though, so that yeah. you you can't just accidentally hit them. And most of them became guarded because at some point somebody did accidentally, accidentally hit them, yeah. hit them. Yeah. and yeah. they said, "How do we fix this?" And we'll put a guard on it or some yeah. control. Fly, fix, fly. Yeah. So, what kind of helicopter is this? That you're so it was a Huey. Oh, so nice. I did about thirty hours in the Huey, and and. You know the the very and I, I remember the last day I was flying. Uh, Mr. C says, "All right, you're getting pretty good at this. Let's uh, let's see what you can do." And he says, "We're at this remote strip, and it's a, it's got a painted taxiway line right down the middle of it, just for practice training." And he says, "I want you to fly down that that strip, keep the the center of of mass of the helicopter because the 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 mast of the where the." Uh, the helicopter rotates around is behind me. So yep. I'm not rotating over myself, but over the center of the mass. Gotcha. Of the aircraft. So rotate that down that line while you're moving straight down the line. So rotating it, but never getting off the line. <laughs> so my body would be swinging around it, but the center mass of the helicopter would be right over it. Yeah. So I'm mean, okay. So I go down that line and, you know, I felt like I was doing pretty good. I'm going to sweating. It was only like a hundred yards. Yeah. But the sweat's pouring off me because I'm just working as hard as I can. And, and we're up and down. And I, he kept say keep it about a foot off the ground. And I was probably somewhere between. A foot off the ground. I was maybe an inch off the ground to four feet off the ground. And up and down. And and most of the time I was centered, but it was, you know, within you know, yeah. a little bit. Uh, he says, that's pretty good. But let me show you what I'm talking about. <laughs> and he takes it and goes back. And, 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 and I swear the helicopter was on a rail. Yeah. It was locked in. Masterful. I mean, oh, man. But he had more time flying helicopters than I probably had breathing. He, yeah. he was just yeah. incredible. And, and so, so I did that. And once that time, 30 hours was up, they said, okay, you've got your helicopter rating. Now we're going to send you to Kirtland Air Force Base in New Mexico where the HH-60s 
uh, all the training for those are. And that's the the rescue helicopter that the Air Force uses. As oh, the, nice. As those helicopters seem sweet. They are. They're great because the big difference between the Huey and, and really the helicopters that are out there today is all the new helicopters have hydraulic and computer assist efforts. So they take a lot of the work out of your hands. So it's more fly-by-wire. Yeah, yeah. So when they're flying, it's just much smoother. You can turn those off, and we do that in a lot of emergency procedures training where you'll do some of the thing that you'll turn off some of that yeah. assist so that you're flying it without that assist. Much harder. Oh yeah. Uh, and so you don't want to do that because it tires you out more, particularly mm-hmm. on long missions. So that so with that stuff on, it makes flying a lot easier. Oh, I'm sure. Um, so in some ways, it's great. But obviously, if you want to say, hey. You put somebody back in a Huey, you're not going to be nearly as good as those guys that all they do is fly those unassisted yeah. helicopters. Yeah. Uh, that, that's what they do. So did that and um, went uh, back to Moffett Field in California, uh, which is just south of San Francisco, uh, nor- just north of San Jose, uh, very close to the Mountain View where Apple headquarters and Silicon Valley and all that. Okay. So went back there and flew there until 2002 and then moved to Florida and uh, into Tampa. And I flew across the state at Patrick Air Force Base, flying the same helicopters over there through 2008. Okay. And um, gosh. And then I got out of flying uh, for a few years and went over to Special Operations Command to do some unique missions with them and and training with them. Uh, Are you allowed to talk about these unique missions? uh, <laughs> it's not that it's not that exotic, but it's not that interesting either. Uh, you know, so it was in the human intelligence realm, and, okay. and so a lot of it was training related. But there was some uh, actual missions in uh, I, I did in, in Afghanistan, and uh, so it was a really great eye opening experience for me because it was a field that I had, you know, as a pilot, you don't even think about. Yeah, You're like working around the ground, working with a, you know, ground based team, and 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 doing human intelligence work that has nothing to do with flying. So yeah. it was real eye opening for me to see other aspects of the military. The nice thing about flying is that it keeps you away from those aspects of it. <laughs> that, 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 there's, a, there's a real truth to that. Right? Yeah, I mean that's the, yes. the idea is to stay as far away from the, the gunfire as you can. Yeah. So human intelligence is in like, like looking finding sources to, that that will provide information to us. Uh, okay. That yeah. that, uh, that have inf- inf- that are Intel. on the other side. Yeah. yeah. And so getting getting that intelligence from a human source. So you're in in so, two thousand in the mid two thousand. So yeah, two thousand six to two thousand nine. Afghanistan. Well, I had a couple missions in Afghanistan, but a lot of it was back uh, 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 training based, supporting yeah. supporting yeah, okay. training of people that were getting ready to go do on other missions. Yeah. Um, I just had some uh, brief exposure with a couple missions in Afghanistan. So by this point, have you even considered? Y- Flying any commercial flights yet? Yeah. So in, in nineteen ninety, so this is uh, gosh, two thousand and or nineteen. This is ninety six through. Uh, I'm sorry, two thousand and uh, and six through two thousand and nine is when yeah. I did that. But okay. I got hired by TWA in nineteen ninety six. Okay. The so I was uh, flight eight hundred went down. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, so I got hired by TWA and uh, was with them and you know taking time off to do military work. Yeah. And fly. And then in 2001, I actually was overseas flying HH-60s in 2001 in Kuwait. Came back from Kuwait, uh, you know, a few months after 9-11. And I got back. It was, I still find it kind of funny. There was a letter and a, and a box uh, <laughs> in, in the mail that, that I opened up. And, and the box is American Airlines uniform. American Airlines bought TWA, and it's the American Airlines uniform. Welcome to, TW, to yeah. American Airlines. And then I opened the letter, and, you know, because I was gone long enough, says, hey, uh, you've been uh, furloughed from American Airlines because they were laying off after 9-11. Airlines were hit pretty hard yeah. mm-hmm. and downturn in the economy, uh, not directly related to 9-11, but 
all, all that was happening. So they furloughed a bunch of people, and I was in that furlough list. So I was furloughed from, gosh, uh, 2001, late 2001 to mid-2011. Oh, okay. Uh, with, wow, wow. with American, yeah. Uh, so, it was a 10 years that guys were laid off. And then they started calling people back. I did not go back, though, until 2017. I stayed on military leave until 2017. So, okay. you, so you got your new uniform and laid off in the same day? Yeah. That's, that's awful. Yeah. No, <laughs> I thought it was funny. Now, they, they didn't come in the same day, but because yeah, yeah. I've been gone, they were right. all with the mail. So You're opening yeah, yeah. mail yeah. up yeah. as you're, yeah. yeah. That's, that's terrible. So, yeah, it was, I find it very ironic. Oh, new uniform. Won't be wearing it for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Hope yeah. it still fits. So. Yeah. yeah, don't gain any weight. Well, they, yeah. say, they say about polyester uh, jackets and all that, they all say that they uh, tend to shrink when they hang in the closet for a while. <laughs> but I don't, I, somehow I don't think it's a jacket that was shrinking. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Nice. Okay, so you're so flying commercially. Um, you're you've been back into that here recently, also, right? Yeah. So on all back in with American uh, since since 2017 when I went back. A lot of military leave still doing different different yep. uh, training. So anytime you go do on long term orders with the military, you have to take leave from the airline. Right. So are you still so, active? Duty, or you're not active duty? I'm not. I'm just okay. a part time reservist again. So okay. so if I just finished that brief timeline, I went to. Uh, Came back, uh, worked at SOCOM doing the human intelligence work uh, and, uh, for uh, a few years. And then uh, I went back to the Air Force, went to the current refueling squadron I'm with now, the 927th at McDill also. I uh, got my foot in the doors uh, as an inspector general for a year and then got, got picked up to fly again, flying KC-135s. And did that for uh, about a year. And at the same time, I was working at uh, U.S. Central Command. Uh, and their plans uh, section for uh, Afghanistan, Pakistan region, doing planning work. Planning on how to get out of there? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a whole other side. <laughs> how to get in there, how to get out of there. How to stay yeah. in there, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah 20 years of what, uh, interesting So what discussion. kind of planning work? So it just really depending on what we were trying to do. I mean, one, one of the big things at the time I was there was uh, reduction in the size of the Afghan National Army. What did that oh. mean? Did that mean we were going to let throw out 100,000 people that because we didn't have the funds to keep supporting them? And what would that look like to their economy? And, and those people would, you know, the discussions about would those people just disappear in the society and would they take their weapons with them? Would, would they turn and join the other side, the Taliban or others? Uh, and would that destabilize the uh, society? So there were long discussions, and that got involved with NATO, would get involved with... Um, you know, we, we, at one point we talked with the, the Russians and others in that discussion about those things. So we would have these discussions like that about what we're doing. That was one of the topics. And there were a handful of others about how those things look. And so it's a big planning process. And you have, you know, all kinds of organizations in, in, in within multiple countries looking at that because there's funds coming from all over the world to support them. So how does that look? How is it done in a unified manner? Does it make sense? There were other things like funding for projects within Afghanistan and how, where does that money go and how do we use it and you know it's it's complicated and, and i like to say it was all done well and good but the reality is uh it's a messy process mm -hmm. and uh you know finding the best choice in an uncertain environment like that is sometimes hard and, and a lot of times you go this seems to make sense and then a year later you go man that probably wasn't what we should have done mm -hmm. but you don't know at the time right yeah you have to make the best decision you can at the time there's so much hindsight Right. You know, the, the, yeah. it's, a lot of probably what you did is was based on statistical analysis. So if it made sense, you did an analysis and said, well, this is the best that we can come up with now. Um, and so you make that decision based on data that you have, but it's not always 
a hundred percent. No, the data is not always a hundred percent. Right, either. right. And even sometimes that would be if we had that, that would be great. But a lot of times it was just a, based on a commander on the ground saying we need this. This is why we need it. We'll pass up for some quality control checks, but there's only a limited time frame in making a decision mm-hmm. because you wait too long, then something else has taken that that issue over, and they don't need it now. So you have to make a decision sometimes relatively quickly, and with limited information, and, yep. and, and so it makes those choices hard, and 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 the costs were always hard to figure out. And, and as, as I think everybody's seen, a lot of times there was corruption involved in Afghanistan. There was uh, you know failure for some of the processes to work. But I think if you look at any conflict anywhere in the world, that's pretty common because there's so many competing things going on there. And uh, as we always say, the, the enemy always has a vote in what's going on. And so they, they throw wrenches into the works that, that make things don't happen the way you want. And and the people you're working with always have different ideas from different countries and from, from within Afghanistan itself. So combining all that and trying to get an answer to work the same as we would for a, a city project in uh, Upper Sandusky. Right. It, it's not going to be a ball game. Not going to be as transparent. Yeah. yeah. Too many uh, objectives. Yeah. Too, too many different objectives. Yeah. yeah. And like you said, you're dealing with unstable regions of the world where it's, it's not like, oh, if we do this in this upper Sandusky, it's like, okay, here's the exact workforce. We know exactly pretty much who these people are. Right. You don't know that for right. some village in Afghanistan or for the Afghan, for the, the people of wherever you're at, Somalia or Ethiopia, wherever it might be. As much, yeah, absolutely. And sometimes we think we do. And the reality is what we think we know or do is is, is completely off because yeah. our view of what their their needs are are different with, than what they think their needs are. And they probably know their needs at the time better than what we do. Their needs are usually food and water. <laughs> Ours are liberty and justice somehow or another. For and, and in some <laughs> manner, yeah. And so, you know, it's again, a little bit higher pitch, I know higher we, we're, we're, we're sliding off, but, you know, if, you know, <laughs> Afghanistan was a lot of, a lot of competing interests in that Afghanistan from, you know, and from, I always look at it as, as sort of six competing interests. You know, if you break our, you know, as, as much as we are conflicted in our country now with trying to have come up with good solutions, Afghanistan had one side of our country, the Republican side, which was fighting more about terrorism and trying to keep that under control. And Afghanistan had that concern. Uh, the Democrats are more about uh, social justice and, and uh, interventionism and trying to, you know, bring democracy to other parts of the world. And that was an interest for them. Mm-hmm. Um, you have media that obviously likes to look at, at, at conflict because it sells with the media. So they're involved with that. Obviously, you have the, the military industrial complex that there's, hey, big contracts, big corporations mm-hmm. want to get money. The military itself, you give us a mission, we're going to say we can do it. Um, as a military, hey, you're never you going to say no. Yeah, right. yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to say no. That, that's uh, not, it, yeah, sometimes, not you, some, if you're honest, you'd like to get the answer to this. It's not a good idea. But then you have the civilian leadership that's saying, "Hey, we want to do this, and yes, we're going to salute smartly, but we need money and men to do that." So that's that's a that's a piece of it, and, and and then you obviously have all the other nations that are involved in that process. How do they they involve themselves, and what do they choose? So you have that, and then. Probably the biggest piece to me in all this is is the the military uh, civic relationship in America. Is what does the average American know and are con- concerned about what's going on when we're in a conflict? Or, you know, how is our military being used? What's it costing us? Why are we there? And I would say in today's world, uh, comparing it to World War One or World War Two, the average American isn't impacted by what we did in Afghanistan or even Iraq right. no. or Syria. There wasn't a, there wasn't a war tax. There wasn't a lot. Most people, unless a direct family member was in. 
didn't have a direct effect. So yeah. it wasn't necessarily a thought of theirs unless they saw that part of the evening news that maybe covered it. There, and was, there was also no threat of them getting involved unless they volunteered. Right. No draft. Yeah, yeah ab- absolutely. So that 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 is, I think, is probably, to me, is one of the bigger pieces of, of our military use in America today. Right or wrong, or not making a value decision on it, but saying, hey, we, we haven't had that interaction since World War One, World War II, uh, that the, the the whole population of America is involved in thinking about, hey, this conflict, how does it affect us? Should we be there? Is, there, is it an American interest? Is it not? And where should we push those resources? Do we need to add another tax to pay for this? And so mm-hmm. it, it, the, the, all those things, and I'm sure there's others, there, there are definitely other minor ones, but I think those are some of the biggest pieces of you know, when we're in Iraq and Afghanistan, all these competing interests trying to solve why we're in Afghanistan, how long should we stay, how should we fund it, they're all good in a lot of ways, and a lot of people are trying to do good things. But those interests, uh, you know, some conflict with each other, and, sure. they, and they force us to make sometimes, you know, compromise choices that maybe aren't the best. And 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 so so we end up with sometimes choices that 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 allow us to stay or not stay in a position that maybe we should have gotten out of or stayed longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, I that stuff's all awesome. Let's switch gears just a little, <laughs> just because you you just were talking about that and it made me uh, kind of go to this. Have you ever been in these places where you felt like you got in over your head? Have you ever been into in Afghanistan and kind of turned a corner and thought, oh, oh, I'm I'm in the wrong place? Like, have you ever had any situation like that, or are you more everything controlled because you were working on on base and yeah, most of my stuff was controlled. So, you know, the the army units, the marine units, uh, some of the spe- air force special operating units, they uh, bore the brunt of what happened in Afghanistan. Oh, for sure. I mean, they're they're right up there with the folks. A lot of the air force bases were were obviously they have to be further back from the conflict because the planes are high value assets. They 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 can't be right there on the edge of the conflict. Um, obviously, uh, mortar shells would go into those. I. I went into one base, and if I would have walked into the uh, the hangar where some of the, the helicopters were kept an hour pro- earlier, a uh, mortar would have gone off and blew a hole in, the, in that. So, but my timing an hour later, the, we were just looking at the hole. <laughs> yeah. It didn't do anything. And a, lot, and a lot of people in those bases, you know, they were in the wrong place, wrong time. Yeah, uh, They got hit by a, a, a mortar that was launched from outside the base and in, and uh, five minutes earlier doesn't bother them, five minutes later doesn't bother them. But that time it hit, it yeah. gets them, and they're in a bad way. Um, but just in direct conflict, it was really the Army, Marine units, the special operations units on the ground that, that bore the brunt of Afghanistan, Iraq, and Syria issues with us. But I, I think the numbers are right now somewhere around 300,000 with PTSD, traumatic brain injuries, wow. amputations. Sure. Um, Wait, how back. many? 300,000. Yeah. That's a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it is a lot. And, yeah. and, and you have to look at a lot of these men and women are in their 20s right now. Mm-hmm. Some well, th- a lot of them are in yeah, their 30s, 30s now because it's been 20 years, but t- 20s and 30s. And so we as a, as a nation have to support these men and women oh, it's, yeah. for yeah. the next 60 years uh, of working through that. And it doesn't just affect them. It, you know, it's the, the, if they have a spouse, it affects them. It, helps, it affects their siblings, helps their, their parents, oh, the whole community. Uh, all their kids. Yeah, all those people directly associated with them have an impact, and it, tri- it ripples out. So it's a big challenge for us as a country to now deal with that. So we're going to have to you know, work that. Now there's there's been some great efforts within the VA system to improve that support, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a cost for the nation to, to support those men and women. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's our, 
it's our duty. It is. To, it is yeah, to make sure that, that, that we is. do everything That's we the, can. But then it goes back to that previous discussion: the civil-military relation in, in America. Are we having that discussion so that our, our American citizens know where the military is being used, why it's being used, what it's costing us, what are, what why we made those choices the way we did, and maybe we go in even more so, or or, or we pull out. But we ha- we need to have those discussions so that we know down the line. We now know why we've we've got three hundred thousand people that we have to support for the next right, mm-hmm. you know, uh, sixty years. Yeah, we have work to do. There's yeah. no question. Yeah, I've I've always felt like, and and this is going to sound kind of selfish, but as a as a male, as as a man, you know, when I turned eighteen, had to sign up for selective service. It I always felt like, how can we have any kind of actual discussion and factual discussion about what you just mentioned if we're not including half of the population of the country? into the equation like and I know that sounds terrible but I really feel like for some reason it's okay to send men to go get killed but for some reason we like politicians don't ever want to talk about sending their daughters in to get killed or or you know shot at or, or conflict all or, or the whatever. women out there listening what Brian's trying to say is <laughs> you should have to go if he has to go I, you have to go I think that if we're going to have actual equality we need to make sure that the women are represented at the table with the discussion and we can't do that if they're not included as part of the equation. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And it's a great comment. And as a military member, we obviously do what our civilian leadership says we're going to do. Sure. We're going to salute smartly, salute smartly and move forward. Uh, good good discussion points. I think I think we're seeing signs of that beginning to change I of how, so. how we're going to look at it. And you see a lot of the, the – you know, when I first came in, F-16s did not have any women uh, – Flying them. Well, they they did, and right right about the time I was getting my, just before I actually finished pilot training, we had women flying F sixteens, and they do a great job. Yeah, <laughs> there's no reason that a woman can't fly a plane as well as a man does. I mean, we've proven that for years and years. We're just allowing them to fly fighters. Uh, it, it came out, and they do a, do a fabulous job with it. And we're seeing that in other fields now. Certainly, you can make an argument for some aspects, like hey, we got to carry this two hundred pound thing up a mountain. Maybe a woman doesn't do that. But there are other aspects where women tend to be much better than men, particularly in communication mm-hmm. and, and, and dialogue with uh, uh, other people and other organizations because sometimes they, they, they get the communication better. So you, you can't just, well, you're not as strong as I am, so you can't do this job. Right. Uh, yeah. It's usually almost everything. Mm-hmm. It's a team effort. And so finding where people are going to have their strengths and weaknesses and, and, and put them in the right place you end up with a pretty good team. And so I, I think we're moving that way with women and where we, whether we have a draft that includes all people uh, for selective service or we just get a w- rid of it totally and we do something different. I think we're moving that way. But uh, as, as we all know, uh, our civilian leadership, and it's probably good, does not make changes quickly. Right. right. And, and, and as much they as They say fr- they will, though. Yeah. It's, <laughs> right. They, <laughs> but, I, but as frustrating as that is for most of us, I think it's probably good because if we would just make quick changes all the time, I think it would it would probably be worse. Graham yeah. and I have a podcast dedicated entirely to how slow government works. <laughs> <laughs> and it's okay because that's how government is supposed yeah. to work right. to prevent exactly what you just talked about. You know, you can't just knee jerk decisions when you're when you're talking about these things. Um, it, it's funny because I had a conversation with my parents, of course, at the dinner table yesterday at Thanksgiving and, and politics naturally came up. What? Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> I know it's strange. There um, were no politics at the bacon Thanksgiving, but or the Treadway Thanksgiving. But they always want to go like, you know, this is what we need to do tomorrow, and it has to be like this. No, what we have to do is stop and give this time to play out, and then ten years from now we can look back and say, did we make the right decision? If we didn't, we make adjustments accordingly. If we did, we leave it alone. 
which we never do. Ten but, years. That's Brian's like. I, the, I'm telling you, government just curve. takes a while to to be seen. Uh, you know, oh, for a, sure. Things in general take a while to be seen. You can't you can't make decisions from within the you know the tempest, so to speak. So, yeah. Yeah. So okay. Yeah. No. I mean, I that's completely true. And it's like we see that in Af- with the withdrawal from Afghanistan, which you know there's what we think of it right now. There's what every, there's the fact of what happened, Mm -hmm. just like the truth of the events as they unfolded. And then there's what we'll look back in 10 or 20 or 150 years. And it'll be viewed differently, whether it was the right move, whether it was done correctly. And then what the long-term chaos or, you know, maybe, Maybe there's an equilibrium that that ends up happening there. We don't know. Yeah, in Afghanistan, you're not not getting the politics of it. And just sort of disclaimer: yeah. I'm I'm here as a as a citizen. I'm a non non status reservist right now. Mm-hmm. Not as a, not as a representing the military, but a a, a citizen. Yeah, speaking. For the my, record, we're my, all just hanging out, giving here. my thoughts. Yes, so yes. so <laughs> these are just opinions. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, you know, an active status. Uh, you know, you're you're very strict limits on what we can say and do, particularly in uniform. Mm-hmm. Um, not in status, we can we we have a lot more more ability to say and do what we want. Uh, but speaking about Afghanistan and the pullout, you know, you, you can go down a lot of different paths politically, uh, media-wise. But but the reality is for those that, that paid the ultimate sacrifice there militarily, it's a tragedy for them, tragedy for their families. Oh. Just like the other 8,000 men and women that have died in Afghanistan, Iraq, and Syria sure. over the last 20 years. Tremendous impact. And they those people all fall under the same issue of we have to support them and their families for the next 60 years and do it as a nation. Yeah. Um, they paid the ultimate sacrifice. Did they expect to that day? Absolutely not. But just like the other 8,000, none of them expected that day to pay the ultimate sacrifice. And the Afghans, they, they lost over 100 that oh, day yeah. too. They, oh. they're, they paid a price yeah. that they didn't expect. It, it was their country. Do, should we feel any less for them? We shouldn't feel any less for them, but it's not necessarily our responsibility as America to support all their needs. And that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a thing we struggle with now as, we, as the pullout is where is the right balance of supporting Afghanistan and not supporting Afghanistan? Uh, in regards to our needs as, Amer- as as America and our equities in the world. That's a discussion point that we have, but it's not a discussion point for the men and women of the U- U.S. military that, that paid the sacrifice and that their families have to deal with now. Right. Yeah. We have to support them. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and yeah, I mean, you know, we have supported the military on, on our podcast. I mean, we, we always do support the military. Um, I, I don't think that I don't think anybody. I think that things that happen in in times of war are tragic, um, but they happen. That, yeah, you know whether whether we want to like it or not is is a different story. Um, but and that that doesn't mean that we stop paying attention to those people that did those things. Or or um, the, what's unfortunate, I think, is that that's usually when you talked about the civil 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 military relationship. Normally, the only time we pay attention at all is when we hear that there was an incident mm-hmm. and oh uh you know there was a training exercise went bad and three guys died in a helicopter crash and then we hear about it on the news and that and that's it then it's like so sort of like what are, you know why what are, we, what are they even doing there or you know and you might think about it for a day probably not you, you probably just move on to the next thing and unfortunately people don't know like the 
unless you have somebody in it, you don't know like that daily thing that's happening there and like our overall strategy. Yeah. St- Most people don't have any idea. Statistically, about that. it's still pretty safe because the, I mean, the safety performance of the military, oh. believe it or not, is that it's pretty good still. I mean, you're yeah, and, and training and all that where it's very safe. It's, yeah. Yeah. Conflict's a different story, but I think interestingly, you're looking at uh, conflict and uh, death around the world. Uh, you know, we, we're, we're seeing, you know, conflict continue. It still exists, but the death in conflict continues to drop. Yeah. I mean, you can just go look at the U.S. and our, our conflicts. You know, we've lost in 20 years in Afghanistan uh, over 8,000. But if you go back to Vietnam, it's over 50,000. We've gotten back, better so. at killing. So, uh, well, I mean, or, 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 or not killing. We're yeah. resolving conflicts maybe without as much killing. Uh, For sure. And, 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 we're, we're getting better at being better. You know, as you know, General Mattis said, he goes, "I'd rather give up some of my bullets to, to spend that money on the State Department, so they can do things through diplomacy, yes, r- rather than uh, shooting people." Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- there's a, there's a benefit to be paid with diplomacy. Maybe that doesn't sell well in the media for sure, uh, and it doesn't give uh, people in the military ribbons and all that. But it certainly, uh, hopefully, reduces the the need for conflict, and it also reduces the the impact on family members' lives when somebody gets injured or dies. Yeah. Ugh. Do, okay, what do you see as our next? If we if we meet in four or five years, what do you see as maybe the next? Uh, what's the next hot zone that you see around the world? Wow, that's that's a great question. You know, I think if you read most most military uh, journals and things, will tell you, wow, it's peer to peer conflicts with with Russia and China, um, Africa. I, 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 well, Africa, I think, is a different category where there's instability in in the nation and in, in areas. Uh, Ethiopia, obviously, is is going into towards civil war right now, which mm-hmm. is unfortunate. I, s- I spent about a year there, and uh, just just recently, right? Recently, 2012 and 13. Okay. Um, very interesting country and very proud people. They're one of the few places in, on the, on the continent was never colonized, mm-hmm. so they're very proud with their their heritage yeah. and rightfully so. Um, uh, but if if you look at the, the two big peer competitors, Russia and China, I think they're two different beasts. And and I, I, you know, looking at would we have a conflict? I, I I don't know. I think I think all sides have all sides have nukes. So I don't think anybody wants to take it to a a, a oh, big level because no. nobody wants nobody's crazy enough to throw the nukes. I think you're looking at probably what we've been facing for the last twenty years: some level of of a nation state with some instability that we want to get involved in for what, whatever the reason is that we might go to. It could be in Africa. It could be, it could be uh, somewhere closer. Um, it's hard to say. Uh, you also have the issue with terrorism that's still out there. You still have ISIS. You still have al- offshoots of al-Qaeda and al-Shabaab and, and Somali and that that are creating instability. You have the issues in Yemen. Um, and none of those are clear-cut cases about what's right and wrong within those. They, everybody has some version of right in their mind on their side, and 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 how you you balance it, balance that, and and sort it out gets involved in the politics of of how each side engages the other and who their friends are, and and it's it's never. It's never black and white. It's extremely no. gray. It's, uh, the it's whole world's always, gray. Yeah. Everything yeah. exists in the gray. <laughs> we live area. in the gray. Yeah, yeah. The, it's it's not always right for the person who who we're making the decision for. And, yeah. and that's that's funny yeah. uh, that you put it that way. And it's true. Um, yeah, like what, what we think of Al-Qaeda or, or whomever, ISIS, what we think of them as being uh, terrorist organizations, I think they are, um, but they don't think they are. 
Right. So, they think they're fighting. It, it, nobody thinks that they're a terrorist. I mean, there's the do. occasional <laughs> one, but usually it's like they're fighting a good fight. There's something the founding fathers there's, were terrorists. I, you know, they're doing. I think they have conviction. For which, a short time, they had to do something that was wrong because they knew it was right. 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 You know, it's wrong to be against the crown. Right. And yeah, in 1776, yeah. it's right. wrong to speak out against right. the crown. Right. Or let's look at the Nazi Germany. You know, look at the, the Holocaust. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a horrific things. But Germany today, you know, they, you know, complete member of the World Society doing great things. Oh, for mm-hmm. sure. And, and so, we, do we say we would never engage with Germany, the Nazi Germany? Uh, yeah. Well, so let's look at ISIS. Can we compare them apples to apples? Not really. But if say an organization that we want nothing to do with, Nazi Germany would be the same as ISIS. What nothing to do? They did horrific things to 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 people, millions of people. Yep. And so. You know, people change, organizations change over time. Could you see us if they establish a, a toehold somewhere in the world? I would say no, that we would we'd have relations with them. But you never know what happens over time as organizations and people change and mindsets change. And that's where diplomacy really is the key is if you can mm-hmm. get people to turn away from violence, well. to, to talk and sort things out through <laughs> – uh, communication, it's always better. We can't get our Congress people to <laughs> get away from violence, let alone uh, hope that everyone else will do it with us. Uh, yeah, but but that's the way. It, I mean, it's really always been that way. For sure. There's always been that bickering. There's always been people arguing. What we're seeing now is just a little bit more exposure because we have access to it. Yeah. Uh, and that that's a great point there. You know, it's social media mm-hmm. is what's allowed a lot of these views and these comments and issues to get put out where more people can see them now. And the military, just like every other organization, has to deal with social media, mm-hmm. good and bad. There are people posting things they shouldn't. There are people saying wonderful things that get out to a lot of people through the military. Um, but how we handle that, it's been a learning process for the military, just like every other organization or group. How how do we deal with that social media and how do we have people like, hey, you probably shouldn't be saying those things and that back that platform about where you are, what you're doing or what you your how you feel about these people or don't feel about these people. Uh, getting that and, and managed is always a challenge, but you, you can find any Fortune 500 company and they've got the same problems mm-hmm. yeah, with their true. issues yep. or, or – or, you know, you to pick pick a uh, Silicon Valley organization trying to keep trade secrets so that their next yeah. product doesn't get out there. Same as the military struggles with not letting information go out about deployments and locations, et cetera. And, and the military absolutely loves things they can't control. <laughs> <laughs> that gray area. That's where they, yeah, they, exactly. they love that gray area. Yeah, I think, uh, I think Grateful Dead said it right. Something about to touch a gray. To touch a gray. Everything's got a touch of gray. Uh, Every uh, silver uh, lining's uh, got a touch of gray. Yeah, yeah, that's that's so true. Yeah, it's. I think if anything's, t- if, I've, if I've kind of learned anything over my thirty years, is that the world is very gray. And more importantly, there are good people in every country in the world that, oh, that are yeah. exactly like us. They want to have a decent job. They want to find somebody they love. They want to raise a decent family. And and grow and old. Grow, and grow old the rest is all. The yeah. rest is all Filler. just icing on the cake. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. If I wake up in the morning, I don't have somebody trying to kill me. I have a little money in my pocket, and I'm not hungry. I guess I'm doing okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's the the two big things I've learned over the years that, that we're all all the same, and the world's gray though. Uh, everything's a little, maybe a little bit different, looked at a bit a little bit differently. But if we could learn that just to treat each other with a little bit, little bit of respect, yeah, uh, and grace, we'd uh, we'd go a long way towards uh, fixing a lot of the issues in the world. It's the what's the coolest country place you've ever been Gosh, in, I, in, in your mind like if you could 
yeah. go back to a memory, you know, sort of well, like, oh, I should have soaked more of that in when I was in this certain so country. Not, this is not a joke, but America is a great country. We oh, are a great sure. country. So, sure. yeah, we've got everything here. And yeah. as, a, as a good friend of mine who, who's come from South America said, he goes, everybody, a lot of my friends in America don't want to go anywhere because everything comes to America. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. every, the, the, all the stuff comes to America. But that being said, uh, there are some great countries out there. There are great people out there. And, and I've been in multiple countries in Europe for short periods of time. Great cultures, great people, great beer. Um, just great things there. Areas in the Middle East has some great culture. I mean, Turkey, I've been there seven times. Just wonderful mm-hmm. culture, wonderful things to see. Just, just great history. Oh, yeah. Ethiopia, great stuff. I don't know if I'd pick one place that, that I go to. I mean, just enjoy Did seeing the world. That's, get- Close to that place where the Ark of the Covenant was, I heard a side part of that <laughs> it, story. It, it is in Ethiopia. It yeah. is uh, in an uh, it's in a building or a church in Aksum, Ethiopia. But they wouldn't let me in. It was guarded by some uh, priests. But they, it's they, they, they claim that the that Ark of the Covenant is in Aksum, Ethiopia. Josh Gates was yeah. there. Yeah, really? They wouldn't let him in either. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So it's not just you. It's all America. Yeah, they're not letting anybody in. (laughs) No, they're not. Especially not somebody that's going to go talk about them on podcasts. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But the amazing history there in Ethiopia, though, they got the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. Tremendous history. Uh, They had the Ethiopian Jews that years ago that were taken back into uh, uh, Israel. But they also have the—I mean, they've got history of four different capitals, and they all have slightly different history that you could talk hours about. But they one one of the areas in their axum they have these seven stone churches that are carved out of rocks, Ugh. physically carved out of rocks. The most uh, famous one is the St. George's Church, and you can walk up to this. Uh, you're on this huge rock plateau, basically, and all of a sudden you start walking. It looks like there's a hole in front of you. You get up there, it's completely carved out, and in the middle of the area carved out is, is a two story giant church yeah. that can huh. all the rock around it's been removed, and then inside it's been removed, and it's a rock church. So Just you're beautiful. saying church are they? Are they Christian? Is yeah, it a, yeah, it's, a lot it's, of Christians? A, it's a Ethiopian Orthodox Church. That so is their Christian, own, yeah. It, yep. Yep. Huh. Wonder when that was started. We'll have to do some research on that. The Ethiopian Orthodox Church. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, probably old. I, I'm sure. Yeah. And they have a different. Uh, actually, go by a different calendar. That's slightly off. It's a different year there. Whoa. Yeah, what? They go. Really? Yeah. They they follow a different, slightly different year because they have a different number of days. Is it based it's, off of a? Uh, oh like gosh. A, like a Middle Eastern calendar? Of no, sort? it's not Middle Eastern, but it's okay. it's a different calendar. And and you know, don't ask any more questions. Okay. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'll just I'll just be making up stuff I'll, at that point. We'll look it up. Those yeah. are the yeah. type of it's, fun it, things it, I look up yeah, and I'll throw we'll in. Come back it is. It is. It's not 2021 according on the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. Oh, okay. Uh, calendar, yeah. 1641. Yeah, it's not it's not that far off, but okay. it's a few it's years. Like but it's like they don't do leap days yeah. or yeah. anything like yeah, that? It's, it's, like, uh, that could be possible, I guess. Yeah. I do have one more question for you, and this is something that, that I think you, you got into a little bit. Um, the Air Force does have a special ops team, right? We do. We have a special ops side of the Air Force. Every, every Actually, every, every service does. Yeah. Yep. So, like, the uh, Navy has the SEALs, Army has the Rangers, uh Marines are just Marines because they're all special they're all ops. special ops and Marines. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they do have a, a smaller group that they do train, but that that's sort of their model that they're all kind of fall on the special ops side. So, what can you tell me about the Air Force special ops guys? Yeah, that's a great question. So, uh, most of uh, special ops or Air Force is, uh, if you think of our our, our headquarters for that, it would be the, uh, Herbert Field in Florida. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we got uh, our, our C one thirties gunships. And then we've got a handful of other unique aircraft that are outfitted with unique things to do unique missions. So a lot of pilots flying those with some technicians in the back. And then you also have uh, our, our pararescue guys, PJs, 
which are on uh, that both fly in the rescue helicopters mm-hmm. when we're saving lives, and also going on on a variety of different special ops missions. Uh, to, and, and a lot of times they're going associated with missions with SEALs and Delta guys on them and not tied to that team, but in support of them. And they go through very similar training mm-hmm. uh, as, as, as uh, the SEALs and, and, the, and the Delta guys, Rangers, et cetera. Um, they all have their own specialties, but the Air Force PJs, for us, they're, they're, they, do a lot, they do a lot of ability with medical training. Most of them are trained as um, paramedics. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they can, you know, do a lot of life-saving work. And so that's when they're in missions. That's where a lot of focus is in. But they do a lot of weapons training, a lot of scuba work, and a, and a variety of other specialized. And I think I read somewhere, and this is why I asked you in the first place. I kind of set you up. Um, but <laughs> but I think I read somewhere that they also will drop those guys in, uh, like, in an alpine environment if they're rescuing somebody. because Because when they get there, the first thing they do is – basically stabilize the person uh, yep. because it is pararescue or yeah, pararescue or yeah, they, they do have some Alpine training that they have to do. So I always, when I was flying with the guys at Moffat, they were, oh, we're going on this trip for two weeks. We're going up and we're skiing and we're doing yeah. all this great stuff. Like, man, you guys horrible. are getting some great trips. <laughs> um, so yeah, so they, they, they get some very unique training, very specialized. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I will say like any of those other fields, uh, their bodies take a beating. Sure. Yeah. I mean, oh, they're, ca- they're, they're going around with huge packs and weight on their back. They're jumping out of helicopters, landing on the ground. Oh, then that yeah. just takes a beating on your body, and so you, you wear you wear out uh, over time with that. And so they they have a lot of a lot of, a lot of guys with knee and back issues. Mm-hmm. So they they sacrifice a lot to do those missions. Yeah, uh, I think everybody. I mean, that's we've come back to it three times now. Like it, the respect that you have to have for anybody that has joined any of the armed services, because I didn't do it. Yeah, like right. Same. I mean, it, and we need it. And it is a special person. I think a lot of times in high school, there's a kind of a thought like, well, if, and I, I don't mean any disrespect from this, but I think that it's a lot of times kids that don't know what else to do. And they're sort of like, well, maybe I'll go do that. And it's like, okay, like, you know what you're doing, right? You know what you're getting into. And a lot of times they do, and sometimes they don't. But I think it's because it's there's a lot of adventure in it. I don't think um, there's enough emphasis and, on explaining to kids like that the value that like the GI bill has. Oh, like and that, on and the back that end, there are all these jobs yeah. like you ended up in, you know, where you're just working. It's a job. You're not killing people. You're not going in to combat zones. There's so many jobs in the military that are cool behind the scenes. Well, and they'll set you up for later engineers and stuff. Yeah. Planner, for instance. Yeah. So another great discussion we could do here for days, but you know, it's something around – 15 to 25% of the military is the only part that actively engages in combat. The mm-hmm. rest is the support, the tail that does all this great support to get those folks where yeah. they need to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so without that, that 10 to tw- or 25% can't do that mission where they're direct in front. It needs all that back end support. The yeah. rest of it falls apart without it. I mean, I, I'll just look at flying a plane. Well, I can't fly a plane. Unless I've got all the maintainers that do mm-hmm. all kinds of unique work to keep oh. that plane flying. And then you've got the guys that fuel the planes, uh, the mm-hmm. POL guys. Uh, you got the guys that, that maintain the runways. The guys that maintain, uh, if you're flying a fighter, you've got uh, the barriers that catch you if your brakes are out. They yeah. catch, catch it and other issues. So yeah, and, and, and yeah, and then you got the medical side that makes sure you're medically prepared. So all that has to happen. And a bunch of other stuff to go fly, and you got a whole bit of admin that needs to happen, just like any other business. You got the yep. HR side that oh, all yeah. that has to. So if all those people aren't there, 
that person that you're saying go forward and do it, he's not doing or she is not doing anything. Yeah. Because they're not ready to do the mission. They are just not capable. So you need that whole seventy five percent plus back there to do to get that mission done by the people that are actually facing the enemy. The administrative part. Yeah. 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 So uh, yeah, there's a lot of that that goes on. And you're right. There's a, there's some great careers. I mean, the one that we that a lot of people are, are are going into now is the cyber side of the house. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. we can't keep people. Uh, if you talk to the Ohio Air, Air Guard, they've got uh, cyber units, and and they got guys that, that walk out the door, uh, you know, go make uh, come bucks. out of high school, go, go get go get their cyber somewhere. stuff, and well over hundred grand uh, yeah. after a few years of training. Yeah, because they've got these great skills. And so then we're trying to keep men, but it's a challenge because, you know, if you stay as a part-timer, maybe we'll keep you. But at some point, you know, certainly as a full-timer, they can't compete mm-hmm. against that civilian uh, wages in the cyber world because it, it, there's so much need right now. Yeah. yeah. But it does. It gives them great, great skills. Uh, across the board, you can get great technical skills in the military mm-hmm. um, after a few years. And with the GI Bill, I use those to apply uh, towards a, towards a skill in college and, and then walk out the door with almost no debt. It also gives you uh, yeah. It also gives you some leadership and some uh, some instruction, probably during the years when you really most need, or at least young men, I would say most need it. And I I only say that because I had the experience myself. Like from eighteen to twenty four, twenty five years old, man, I was a mess. I didn't know what I wanted to do. No, I mean, just oh, and the amount of life. The I mean, you know, not to get down on kids these days because kids are kids and they're great. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, like a lot of kids just need discipline. Yeah. And you get it. You're going to get discipline and, and then dire- it's directed. Yeah. Right. That's, I think the best thing about the military. It seems like everybody you talk to, it's like they, they have a job. They know it because they know that their job's important. It's a part of the team. It's the, the whole chain is all important. Like you're saying, you know, everybody from, the administrator to the guy that's fueling the plane matter. But they, the, the military is also really good about just explaining the steps and not all at once, but they'll explain the next step to you. So what do I want you to do? I want you to go do this. Don't ask why, just go do it. And we'll tell you how to do it. We'll train you how to do it. But that fits into a bigger piece of a puzzle that you don't understand yet. So don't worry about it. Just do that one thing that you know how to do really well and do it. Yeah, get it done, and that'll support the rest of the system. And we do have very good training programs uh, mm-hmm. across the military. Oh. I mean, that that is a critical piece of doing a good order and discipline. And so, yeah, you're right. Uh, when you get your initial training and your, your skill set, you're not going to know how all the pieces fit. You're going to be very basic. But once you get that down, and you get some time, then you mm-hmm. get up, move up to the next rank and expectation for skill level, and that will increase. And you keep moving up, so that your skills continue to increase, and it opens the, the uh, your eyes to what the rest of the picture is. So by the time you get near the top, whether it's enlisted and you're getting near a chief or as an officer going to colonel in general, you begin to understand the bigger pictures, how all that applies. And, and, and so you can manage, lead, and support much larger organizations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we talked about your parents, talked about your grandparents a little bit. Uh, you've got two children. Two children. Uh, tell yeah. us about. Yeah, two children. They're both juniors. Emma is a junior in college at Berkeley. And, uh, you know. What you always hope for is, uh, you know, doing far better than, uh, the, than, Berkeley. than the father. The Berkeley, yeah. The, yeah. 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 Um, so a very a very conservative school. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Wait a minute. I've yeah. been there. <laughs> <laughs> a beautiful school, actually. It is. And she, well, and, she seems wonderfully yeah. well-rounded, too. She is. And she is. Awesome. A, a little too yeah. intense, maybe, sometimes for her own good. But she's studying a dual degree in electrical engineering and um, computer science. 
okay. uh, focusing yeah. in the biomedical side of things and uh, doing great. But that's a big area in the Berkeley uh, sure. region. That, 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 that is, you know, half, her, half of her professors, I think, work for, you know, like Google or Apple or whoever yeah. at Ease. some point in their career. So great experience for her. She's, she's loving it. And then uh, my son Jonah is a junior in high school, playing high school in Tampa. Yep. And, uh, you know, he's, uh, uh, you know, modeling my career. He doesn't really know what he wants to do. Uh, but I think as he gets older here and, and finishes high school and, and moves on towards something in college, he's going to figure it out and do some good things. He's a history guy. He loves, loves, history. loves history. Man, does he yeah. love history. Yeah, I, I, we were just talking about this. He just listened to a 90-episode a, a, a <laughs> podcast uh, series on Napoleon. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally nice. into it. Totally into it. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it That's, might be up to ninety-two or three now. The guy adds every it keeps going on Napoleon. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, man. I feel like you. It's sort of like the. It's a. I, I, it's a box. You just keep opening it. Oh, yeah. Agree. Exactly. I yeah. mean, Napoleon touches on everything right. in Europe, yeah. and it just, it's all that. 1800 yeah. on European history. Well, you know, you even have to start before that, and it just you. If you honestly want to understand Europe, you probably need to understand Napoleon. Oh, you know, I, I think, uh, in yeah. a lot of ways. Well, if you want to understand the, the military also, that's one of the things that, uh, oh, for sure. you know, Napoleon understood as well as anybody today that the army marches on its stomach. Is that is that the term he used <laughs> yeah. or something yeah. to that effect? Like he understood that how important supply and logistics right. are to keeping your front end happy. For sure. Crit critical. Yeah. Without supply, uh, the operation stops pretty fast. In fact, yeah. I think he was the one. Especially when you try to invade Russia. Yeah. <laughs> Never get a land war in Asia. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, think, I think Napoleon's army, I could be wrong here, but I think it was Napoleon's army or somebody in Napoleon's army who invented the system for canning food and preserving Oh, food. really? Yeah. I'll oh. have to look that up. To wow. Thing, but yeah. yeah. There's a tidbit. And I'll, also, I think. I'll uh, have to ask uh, Jonah that. He might know that. Yeah. So. I also. I also a, myth, a myth buster, I think, wasn't Napoleon like like one inch shorter than the average French person? Like he, everyone now says like, oh, he was real short. He had like short man's complex. I think but he was like really, five, four, five, He was five, like right? five, four, five, five. And right. the average French person was like five five, <laughs> like he was very normal. So I, I, I need Jonah in here because he, he always talks about there's some German. In fact, his uh, his fantasy football team is named after them, so I have to bring that up. But it's named after some German unit that you had to be. I think it was you had to be six foot tall to be in. Oh yeah, six oh, foot or wow. six foot one. Yeah, yeah. So really? you, yeah, if you weren't tall that tall, you, you couldn't be in it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, sweet. Well, you have anything else you think? No, this is great. I've, I've enjoyed it. Yeah, it's fun. What wasn't nearly hopefully, as bad as Hopefully, you your, uh, your, your listenership doesn't go down after this. Yeah. I don't think it can. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> All right. Well, sweet. Well, let's wrap it up. Uh, yeah. Everybody, thanks for listening. Andy, super. Thanks for doing this. It was man. great. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. All right, everybody out there, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed doing it. This was just a great conversation with Andy today. It really was. A great talk, and I hope that everybody enjoyed it. Uh, everybody have a great holiday. Brian and I will see you afterwards. In the meantime, we thank you for getting real with us. It's been real. <laughs>